Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we're going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. Renting an apartment to Malenka Hadziv was the biggest mistake I've ever made. I hope I die before I make a worse one. Actually, I should be careful what I wish for. These days, death doesn't seem too distant a possibility. She was a small woman, a tired old thing. I've seen toads with smoother skin. She had a sharp hunch in her back just below her neck so that her head stuck straight out all the time. This made it so every time she looked at me, she had to roll her eyes up and tilt her chin so she always looked like she was sneering at me. And maybe she was. She kept herself covered with loose articles that may or may not have been real clothes. I could never tell. Without closer examination, it appeared she just wrapped her body in blankets. She wore a pair of shabby sandals inside the building, but I'm fairly certain she always took them off shortly after leaving. Her feet, particularly her long, yellowed toenails, were always filthy. Am I a bad person for judging this woman by her appearance? I'll ask you to withhold your assessment until the end of this story. Some covers reflect the contents of their books perfectly. Malenka started causing trouble for me shortly after she moved in. Almost immediately, other tenants reported strange smells coming from her apartment and lingering in the hallways for hours on end. I have to admit, I noticed some of the odors myself and chose to ignore them. Most of the time, it just smelled like the little old woman was burning incense or other herbal substances. Sometimes the stench outside Malenka's door would be a little more offensive, and I'd be obligated to confront her about it. More than once, I thought she had brought roadkill home with her. If you had ever spoken with Malenka, you would understand that didn't seem too far-fetched. I never found roadkill in Malenka's apartment, but she refused to say what caused the hideous odors. In broken English, she would explain she was performing a sacred ritual, or something along those lines. I try to be understanding of my tenants' various cultures. Some people from particular regions cook recipes with powerful aromas fairly regularly, and I've never given them grief for it. It would have been wrong to give Malenka a hard time for the same offense. Cooking a foul-smelling meal isn't a crime, whether you think it should be or not. Before I go any further, I want to make it clear that my tenants are not the types to complain about small annoyances. They tend to be the live-and-let-live crowd. 
if I'm being brutally honest, they're poor. My building is old, some might call it dilapidated, and I can't charge a very high rent. The low rent and mediocre conditions attract people who just can't afford anything better. They put up with a lot. So, as complaints about Malenka's behavior continuously increased, I grew concerned. Malenka was always polite to me, but apparently, when I wasn't around, she became a monster. She would shout at anyone she passed in the hall in an Eastern European language no one understood. Mr. Shore reportedly caught Malenka running her fingers through his nine-year-old daughter's hair while she was waiting for him to unlock their apartment door. She just appeared behind us and started petting her, Mr. Shore told me. She was staring at my daughter like she was an animal in a pet store. No one hated Malenka more than Lola Dillinger. Their hostile feud was the only one I witnessed personally. I had come back from getting a sandwich at the corner deli and heard voices coming down the stairwell. I went up and found Lola blocking Malenka's door, not letting her into her apartment. Malenka was screaming in a shrill, crow-like tone. Occasionally an English word would slip in, but she mostly shouted in her native tongue. I told Lola she couldn't block the door and asked what the problem was. She ate my cat, Lola screamed. I had to take a couple of deep breaths to process that. In all my years owning the building, this had been the most lurid complaint I'd heard. How can she know this? Malenka asked sweetly. She smiled at me, her lips curled displaying uneven, yellowed teeth. Her smile did not display polite regard. It projected victory. Suddenly I, without any other facts, became suspicious the creepy old woman really had eaten Lola's poor cat. I stiffened to prevent my body from visibly shivering as chills ran from my spine through my limbs. How do you know? I asked Lola. She teared up as she explained. I came home from work an hour ago and Jonesy didn't come greet me like he usually does. I couldn't find him anywhere. I checked all the windows, the door was locked. I don't know how he could have gotten out of the apartment, but he definitely wasn't inside. I decided to walk around to see if I could find him and when I got here, she pointed to the ground just outside Malenka's apartment, I heard him. He was making this horrible sound. It sounded like, oh, I don't even want to think about it. I knocked and knocked and she wouldn't open the door. I could hear her inside. She was talking to Jonesy and then he just went quiet. It was just cat outside window. He bother me and I make him go away. Malenka said, shooing an invisible cat in front of her. I waited for Lola to continue, but she apparently did not intend to. Ms. Dillinger, I'm sorry, but that's just not enough reason to accuse Miss Hadseev of something so terrible, I said. Have you looked at her? Lola shouted. At first I thought Lola was referring to Malenka's general haggard appearance, but before responding, I noticed a slight discoloration of the skin around her mouth and neck. It had a brownish-yellow tint. Malenka noticed my gaze and punished me with her wide, toothy grin. "'Have you seen Ms. Dillinger's cat, Malenka?' I asked. She shook her head. I told Lola to leave the old woman alone and waited there until Malenka had gotten into her apartment safely. I sat in my office the next day going over a new lease. I heard a sharp impact above me. 
I figured someone dropped something and went back to work, but then I heard another and another. Irritated, I went upstairs to investigate. I was appalled to find Lola Dillinger standing in the hallway swinging a hammer into Malenka's apartment door. I ran forward to take it from her and she shoved me away. I tripped over my own feet and reached for the door to break my fall. My weight broke the damaged door nearly in half and I tumbled into Malenka's dark apartment. I tried to shout, what are you thinking? But all that came out was, what? I'd had the wind knocked out of me. Lola already seemed to be asking herself the same question as she stared down at the hammer in her hand. I just wanted to know, she muttered. When I finally caught my breath, I didn't want to breathe. A heinous stench filled the room, one far more powerful than the odors I'd smelled before. Malenka had replaced the cheap blinds in her apartment with thick, black curtains, which she had drawn shut. I could barely see anything inside. I called out to her, but received no response. She isn't home, Lola said. I waited for her to leave, too. Her eyes fell back to the hammer in her hand. Is this still about your cat? I asked. She nodded. I said, I'm not condoning this at all, and you'll have to pay for that door. But I guess, while we're in here, why don't you put your mind at ease and have a quick look around? But don't touch anything. Lola flipped the light switch, and my life hasn't been the same since. Malenka's kitchen was immediately to my left, and it was covered in blood. Dried splatters speckled the floor like chicken pox. Fresher blood dripped from the counters, which were completely stained a rusty brown. Poorly fashioned and dull-looking knives were strewn across the counters, and most of them were also stained with blood. Between two of the knives, I saw a small, blue collar that had been cut roughly. Lola saw it too and screamed. It had belonged to Jonesy, her cat. When Malenka returned from her errand that day, the police were waiting for her. They confiscated the three mice she had been bringing home that evening. When they patted her down, they found a stone dagger, a necklace that appeared to be made from fresh cat bones, and a vial of blood, also draped around her neck. Lola and I were happy to watch them stuff her in the back of a squad car. Since it was a hot evening, the officer had his rear window rolled down a little. The bars across it kept Malenka caged, but allowed her voice to escape. As soon as the officer shut her door and walked away to speak with his superior, Malenka's head snapped toward us, and she began whispering fiercely in her native language. Her voice slowly rose until she was practically screaming. She suddenly stopped, clamped her mouth shut hard, and winced. She worked her jaw back and forth methodically. Then, without warning, she slammed her face against the bars and spat a stream of blood onto the sidewalk. The blood and saliva landed, forming a near-perfect image of a snake slithering toward my building. The officer noticed her aggressive behavior and came back to roll up the window. Soon, he took Malenka away, and we never saw her again, even though she came back. I received a call at 7 o'clock the next morning from the county jail. I'm sorry to report Malenka Hadsieve passed away a few hours ago, the jail supervisor told me. How did she die? I asked. The supervisor paused for so long I had to check my phone to make sure it was still connected. 
Finally, he said, Suicide. How did she manage that? I asked. After a shorter pause, he replied, I probably shouldn't say. We would really prefer to keep this quiet if we could. I just wanted to notify you, I cut him off. If you want to keep this quiet, I suggest you explain how one of my tenants got away with killing herself in your jail last night. I'm not interested in a bunch of attention, but if I feel like you're trying to cover something up, I'll... No, sir, no, sir, it's nothing like that, he interrupted. The circumstances of her death are just... Well, they're unbelievable, really. If we didn't have the video, I don't think I'd believe it myself. I stayed silent until he elaborated. She never stopped whispering, sort of chanting, while we got her processed and set up in a cell. She started to get louder and bother the other detainees, so a CO asked her to keep it down. She only got louder. Eventually, she was practically screaming in some other language. The CO went back to tell her to keep it down again and saw her clothes were smoking. I'm sorry, I asked, thinking I misheard him. Smoking, he repeated, like they were on fire. And a second later, they were. Miss Hadzi spontaneously combusted. I know how it sounds, but like I said, we've got the footage. She burned into nothing but charred bones and ash before we could even get the extinguisher. I think the supervisor wanted me to say something. Maybe to shed some light on how a little old woman could light herself on fire in a jail cell. But I simply thanked him and hung up. I went straight to my building after that. The first thing I noticed was the entire building smelled like smoke. The smoke alarms hadn't been triggered though, so I didn't panic. It was just a smell. Next, I noticed the clocks. Every clock in the building... I put one at the end of every hallway and in my office. It stopped precisely at 2.06. I considered calling the jail supervisor back to ask about Malenka's exact time of death, but decided against it. If I needed law enforcement's help later, I didn't need them thinking I'd gone crazy. Or had I? The smoky smell, the clocks, both inexplicable. Were they just symptoms of a newly developing paranoia? I decided to check out Malenka's apartment. Officially, it was a crime scene, but with the defendant now deceased, I didn't think it was as important to leave the evidence undisturbed. I found the yellow tape the cops had put across her door on the ground. Someone had ripped it down. I had brought the key to her apartment, but found I didn't need it. The door was ajar. The cops had opened all the curtains when they searched the place, but now they were all drawn shut again. The smell of smoke was potent and mixed with the stench of rotting blood. The police had taken all the knives and various other ritualistic items away, but they had left the mess. I flipped on the light and saw every cabinet, cupboard, and drawer had been left open. I checked each room, irrationally expecting to find Malenka in one of them. I can't explain it now, but I felt like she was there. I didn't feel alone. And I wasn't. In the last room I checked, the bathroom, I found Mr. Shore's daughter. She was laying in the bathtub with her hands across her chest and her eyes shut. She had a bloody mark that looked like a snake on her forehead, but no cuts to indicate where the blood had come from. I panicked and tried to shake her awake. Her eyes opened but looked vacant. I felt like she was staring right through me. I carried her out of that apartment and down the hall to Mr. Shore's. 
He didn't answer when I knocked, probably gone to work. Not knowing what else to do, I called the police again. When I waited for them to arrive, Mr. Shore's daughter, Vera, I later learned, started to stir. She asked me where she was, and I told her. She asked me where her daddy was, and I said he'd gone to work. She seemed to remember that and relaxed. Then she bolted upright. But where's Sarah? She asked. I asked who Sarah was. My cousin. She watches me while daddy's at work, she said. After a call from the cops, Mr. Shore came home and unlocked his apartment. No one could explain how Vera had gotten out and locked the door behind her. Sarah was inside, hanging from the ceiling fan. In the following weeks, I brought in various spiritualists, priests, ministers, clairvoyants, and the like. Every one of them tried their brand of exorcism, but no one seems capable of evicting Malenka Hadziv from my building. Pets keep vanishing mysteriously. People keep smelling smoke where there is none. And every now and then, I find Malenka's apartment mysteriously open, even though I always lock the door. And the clocks always stop at 2.06 in the morning. Those who were able to have abandoned the building and found other places to live, but many of my tenants can't afford to leave. They're stuck here. That guy from the jail was wrong. Malenka did not commit suicide that night. She used whatever powers she possesses to get out. She didn't die. She set herself free. And now she lives here with me. At least as long as she'll tolerate me. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash thewarningwoods. If you want more creepy content, including the images that accompany each story, follow me on Instagram at thewarningwoods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into the warning woods. Thank you for listening. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.